Welcome to Animal Cafe, where you'll hear weekly interviews with experts and enthusiasts working to better the lives of animals, and reviews of fun, fabulous, and useful products for your pets. Check our website, animalcafe.co, for more. Welcome back to Animal Cafe. This is Mary Haight, your animal welfare correspondent, and we're here today with Lucy Postens, founder and president of The Honest Kitchen, in charge of operations, corporate development, strategy, and marketing for the company since 2002. She's got a degree from Morton Morrill College of Agriculture in England. Her extensive experience as an equine and canine animal nutritionist has her in demand in the media as an expert in her field. Lucy is a very innovative entrepreneur, passionate about advanced nutrition and holistic health. Luckily, she's here today to talk to us about holiday recipes, tips for your dogs, and a little later on, her book. Hi, Lucy. Hi. Thank you very much for uh, having me on the show. Oh, we're so glad to have you today. For, uh, for people who might not know a lot about you or The Honest Kitchen, could you give us a little background? Um, how did uh, The Honest Kitchen come to be? Um, well, I started the company actually in my own kitchen back in 2002, uh, and I was working for another pet food company at the time that made more conventional uh, dog food products, and I'd got my my own puppy, and he was uh, suffering with some health problems with ear infections and, uh, and some itchy skin, so I started experimenting with my own, um, uh, basically a homemade raw food diet for, for him. And I really loved the results, but I found it very time-consuming and messy. Uh, so I really started trying to think, how could I still continue to feed him a whole food diet, but in a, a format that was a bit simpler to prepare and uh, not taking over my entire freezer with raw ingredients. So that's really where the, the idea for dehydration came from, just removing the moisture. And uh, once I'd got sort of the, the first recipe going for my dog, I, I decided to sort of offer it in the local community, and, and everything just snowballed. And so now we've... Uh, grown in over the last decade into the company that we are today. Okay, you've been, uh, you've been really successful with this uh, new process that you created uh, and recognized in your own industry. And you're also very much into a charity, and uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? We have a, a, a sort of an arm of our company, which we call Paulanthropy, um, mm-hmm. and that's really the, the sector of our company that we uh, use to facilitate our charitable giving. So each month we donate uh, a portion of the profits from sales in our online store to a different charity, and it, it ranges from uh, everything from smaller local animal shelters and rescue groups to uh, larger organizations like UNICEF and um, Doctors Without Borders and World Vets. So the whole gamut of, uh, of humanitarian and environmental and animal welfare charities. And then we also donate um, pet food, actual food itself, to, to different rescue organizations as well. And uh, do you teach them how to prepare it? I did notice that you had some events going uh, where you uh, uh, had demonstrations. Yeah, the, the food itself is very easy to prepare. Basically, you just measure out the uh, the dry quantity that's appropriate for the size of your pet, and then you simply hydrate it with warm water. So you measure out, I usually just warm the water in my tea kettle when I'm making a cup of tea or coffee, and uh, just warm it to about as, as warm as you'd have a bath and add that directly to the, water, to the food itself. Uh, and stir it, let it sit for about three to five minutes, and it's ready to serve. And basically, it will hydrate to about four times its original size and weight. Um, so it makes a nice sort of a thick, sort of a stew consistency or like a, a porridge. And that's interesting uh, because you earlier mentioned moisture content in food, and kibble uh, is, is, so, is just dry and 
oftentimes the dog eats that and then goes and drinks a whole bunch of water. Uh, That's to right. To make up for the, the lack of moisture. Um, how important is that? Moisture is hugely important as a part of, of a, a dog and especially a cat's diet. Um, the, the type of dry food, the kibble or pellets that a lot of people in this country feed to their animal companions is about the most about the most unnatural thing you could possibly feed it. As you mentioned, it's completely devoid of, of moisture. Um, the body needs moisture in order to digest and, and absorb the nutrients from food. So if you don't provide the moisture in the food itself, Basically, you, you have to gobble down lots of water after the meal or, or the, uh, the body is going to basically have moisture robbed from its tissues to take into the digestive tract to facilitate digestion. Uh, it, it's really important that moisture is part of, part of the meal itself. It's much more natural and see a lot of these kibble companies claiming to be biologically appropriate. Well, part of being biologically appropriate is, is having natural moisture there. It, it can't be dry and, and, and devoid of moisture if it's going to be biologically appropriate by, by definition. Hmm. And uh, what is your uh, uh, take on uh, proteins and the amount um, of proteins that dogs and cats should be eating? Well, my opinion is that the, the protein content should be moderate to slightly on the higher side. I think definitely there's a there's a um, an importance on having plenty of meat in the diet, but a lot of people sort of confuse the two terms, meat and protein, thinking they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. A recipe, in, in my mind, a recipe should, meat should always be the number one ingredient. Um, there are a lot of kibble companies um, on the market nowadays which have a what I would call an excessive amount of protein in them, particularly based on the fact that they're dry. Um, there's no moisture there to sort of balance everything out and, and, and counteract these high levels. So it so concentrates Exactly. It becomes, it mm -hmm. becomes very, very concentrated, and that does become a little bit of a burden on the kidneys. You, we often hear of animals who their owners come to the honest kitchen because they've been suffering with um, GI upset because some of these really high-protein diets are just too rich and they're, they're excessive. And when you, again, go back to something that's biologically appropriate, something that our companion animals' counterparts would eat in the wild, the protein content is actually a lot more moderate. It's, if you took something like even just a straight cup of ground turkey, you're only looking at about 18, 19, perhaps 20% protein in there because of all that natural moisture. Um, so that's a really important thing to, to keep in mind. Our philosophy at The Honest Kitchen is really to treat every single animal as an individual. There are no sort of blanket rules and there's no target perfect level of protein that's perfect for every every dog or every cat under the sun. It really depends on the individual animal's needs. Um, I think on the flip side, you know, you, you see a lot of companies coming out with very, very low, highly restricted protein levels for um, pets with kidney problems. And again, the moisture is super important. I can't stress that highly enough for, for an animal with kidney issues. But also, you don't want to go super low on the protein level for, for kidney problems either. It's important to have a moderate amount of protein because those kidneys need, we need to have sufficient protein because the kidneys have become less effective at processing it. And the quality and changes, of the protein. And, and does that change throughout their stage of life too? It doesn't automatically change. I think that's another sort of misconception mm -hmm. and, and propaganda that's put out from within our industry that's sort of marketing hype, I think. 
you, it, it, it doesn't stand that just because your dog suddenly celebrated his seventh birthday, all of a sudden he needs to start eating senior food. <laughs> don't suddenly start feeding our grannies something different when they turn right. 85 years old. <laughs> you can't have that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's really a matter of the individual. You know, annual health exams are very important and just monitoring. How is your, how's your pet doing? Are they losing weight, mm-hmm. gaining weight? How is their activity? Have they got bone and joint problems that are, that are coming about with age? If there are issues with kidney function, then that should be addressed. But I'm not a subscriber to this theory that you should automatically start feeding low protein because an animal got to a certain age. And I, I don't, I don't like this this theory of feeding very low protein to animals with kidney problems. And you know, because food and ingredients are so confusing to everybody, <laughs> we're we're all trying to find some kind of you know uh, magic formula where we can feel like what we're doing for our pets is the best. Um, so with regard to the amount of protein in foods, um, you know, there's, uh, there's one category of people that say, well, the first three ingredients should be meat, named meat. And mm-hmm. then there's the other end of things where you have only uh, the first ingredient is meat and the rest is other things. Uh, so, doesn't it, so it really depends on what kind of thing we're talking about, if it's uh, dehydrated meat in terms of the protein levels. And when you read that on the bag, what, what should you, you be looking for to, to be the range that's generally accepted for generally healthy animals? Well, um, to answer the second part of your question first, um, I think a protein level anywhere from the, the low to mid-20s to the, to the low to mid-30s as a percentage is, is, a, is a pretty good amount. Um, some puppy foods and, and foods for more active adult dogs can, can go up slightly into the high 30s, 37, 36% mm-hmm. or so, uh, maybe even a little higher than that. But I'm not really a, a fan of going too much higher into the 40s and 50s percent. Um, as far as the the ingredients themselves, the quality is more important than than um, than the quantity. Mm-hmm. If you if if a, a food like ours is, you, let's say for example we're formulating a food with chicken, well we just use dehydrated chicken. We don't use fresh chicken, chicken meal, and chicken byproducts or, or you know various different mm-hmm. components of chicken. It's just pure chicken muscle meat that's been dehydrated so we would only have one ingredient listed that's anything to do with chicken and it's chicken um <laughs> i think if you know some of these companies are starting to incorporate things like fresh chicken and chicken meal so in which case you'd probably want to see both of those nearer the the uh, early part of the ingredient listing because the ingredients are listed in the order of predominance by weight mm-hmm. but a lot of pet food manufacturers really indulge in some of this more tricky marketing and, and things that sort of are aimed to confuse, I think. And uh, they'll, in, they'll do ingredient splitting and that sort of thing where they're listing, mm, with listing the grains ingredients. And, and, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you'll, you'll see things like um, corn gluten, corn husks and corn hulls all separated out so that they, because if you added those three corn components together, by weight, they would actually probably fall right up at the very high end of the ingredient list, whereas if you split them out, you can kind of spread them out down the listing. Yes. And there's a lot of trickery that goes on. There, there really is, because there was a big campaign uh, to say that corn was a wonderful protein for dogs and should be a first ingredient. It's no problem. Yeah. What are your it's, thoughts uh, on that? It's really not. So that the protein should come primarily from meat or fish. 
Um, mm -hmm. Corn isn't really a great source of, of too much. I mean, it does have protein in it. I think one of the most scary things is that I think upwards of 80 and almost 90% of corn in the United States is genetically modified. Mm -hmm. And it becomes even more problematic for a dog or cat eating corn because for the most part, they're eating the exact same food day after day for every meal for years on end. And so they're ingesting a huge amount of genetically modified ingredients. You know, right. if we eat a little bit of corn that's, that's GMO, once or twice a month, that's not too much of a big deal. But when it's every meal, it's, it can really be a, a scary thing. And the same with fish, which apparently is now all being, regardless of where it's being caught, most often sent to China to be processed. That's true, Bones, yes. That kind of yep. thing. A lot of, a lot of ingredients are processed in China or grown in China, um, and a lot of fish also is treated with isoxyquin when it's destined for pet food consumption. Um, we don't buy any ingredients at all for use in our foods that are either from China or processed in China. Our fish comes from Iceland, and it's actually dried and, and processed right there and then shipped directly to the United States. And it's all food grade because our foods are all produced in a, in a human facility, not in a pet food rendering plant. Your foods, did you say they're USDA inspected and approved? Yes, yeah, it's actually it's yeah. kind of sort of a joint effort between USDA who inspects the meats and FDA mm -hmm. who inspects the produce and the fish. Um, mm -hmm. And our facility itself is FDA inspected. And everything that's made there is fit for human consumption. They make things like breakfast cereal and bakery mixes that people eat. And our pet food's made only with ingredients that are human edible. They're sourced directly from the human food chain. And, uh, and they're literally to a quality standard where we can and do taste everything that we make. <laughs> um, I love getting answers. Uh, what does meal mean? Yes. And what does yeah, chicken meal mean? A lot of misinformation, yeah. Yeah. And uh, what kind of uh, fats do you use? Well, most of the natural fat content that's in our food does come from the meat itself. There's, there's plenty mm -hmm. of nice natural fat in the meat. We don't add any type of fat. Um, mm -hmm. The majority of it's coming from the meat. And, and in the case of seal, which is our fish recipe, we use salmon as a, as a source of natural oil in that. Uh, we also use some organic flaxseed, which has some natural oil in it. Um, we don't add animal fats, but it you know, animal fat itself is not problematic for a pet as long as it's fresh. Mm -hmm. um, I think the the issue of rendered animal fats that have been treated with a lot of chemical preservatives, that's when you get into more of a, a, of a, a risky situation for them. But um, chicken and turkey and beef all have a naturally high fat content, fat and protein in them. So that, that's what we rely on for our foods. The big takeaway that I would love people to have is to really sort of think of their pet as an individual and to try and think about their pet's nutrition as they would their own nutrition or that for their human children. I think sometimes there's there's so much brainwashing by manufacturers to, to almost scare people and strip them of every last ounce of self-confidence they have in being able to make decisions for their pets. And if you try and sort of switch your mindset a little bit and think about it as, as you were if you were feeding your human child, Variety is okay, and I, um, but you can feed healthy human foods to your animals, and you can, you can give them a varied diet. And if you focus on quality, um, there's, there's lots of great sources of nutrition and great foods. Whole food, colorful food is so super important. And feeding a processed pelleted diet or something that's been extremely highly processed, like a canned product um, that mm -hmm. goes under extreme heat and pressure, that's, that's really problematic for animals. So just try and 
feed something that you would you'd want to eat yourself and and don't rely on sort of a fast food processed diet for your your dog or cat. Oh, that's great. Let's uh, get into the holidays here a little bit and talk about uh, the recipes and tips you brought for us. Okay. Uh, Well, I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think being able to share some of our own healthy human foods with our animal companions is a great way to show our love, especially during the holidays. And so there are lots of things that we enjoy during holiday meals, things like turkey, um, prime rib, and other meats that you can actually add to your pet's food in moderate amounts and and allow them to enjoy some variety and some real whole food ingredients. Um, One of the key things with meat in particular is to make sure that it's not covered in in lots of um, sweet and salty sauces. Things like ham can be problematic. Also to make sure that it doesn't have too much in the way of nitrates and preservatives. Um, Ideally, I recommend choosing free-range and and grass-fed meats if you can for for yourself and for your animal companions. And then there are lots of other delicious side dishes that you can actually um, save a portion uh, before you completely um, dress them up for human consumption. You can actually save some of these whole food things like green beans and sweet potatoes, pumpkin and squash and winter greens and, and save a little bit mm. and put it in aside for your animal to enjoy uh, before you cover them in creamy sauce or um, <laughs> sugar, sugar or and butter. Maple syrup. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so green beans, you could you could save some before you make the green bean casserole, before you add add the cream. Sweet potatoes, I, I like to serve my animals sweet potato or pumpkin during the winter months. Great source I of do that carotene. Too. Yeah. yeah, and of course, you know, give it to them before you've put, to, put lots of melted marshmallows and candied nuts all over them. <laughs> um, fresh cranberries are great. Uh, cranberries have a natural compound in them that help to prevent um, bacteria from adhering to the bladder wall, so they make a nice addition, especially for cats or any animal that's prone to urinary tract infections. Um, pumpkin and squash, you can uh, gently cook cubes of squash and then add them to your pet's food before you, uh, before you add anything else. And the same with winter greens. Um, some of the winter greens, things like Brussels sprouts, can, can be um, a cause of gas. Um, so you just don't want to do those in moderation. But other, other wintry greens like um, kale and that sort of thing, you can either pulverize those in a food processor or just lightly steam them. And your pet can benefit from those natural phytonutrients that are in leafy greens just, just as we can. And it saves on waste. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Did you bring some recipes? I do have, uh, we actually have a recipe book of meals that you can prepare for and some to share with your animal companion. It's called Made Out of Love. Um, and so it's a, it's a um, multi-page book and it's divided into several different sections. Um, some are just sort of um, healthy food toppings, some are complete meals and some are treats. And a couple of the treats that are great for um, this time of year, we have holiday noshers, which are made with um, our Thrive dehydrated dog food and then combined with um, some oat flour, blueberries, um, almond butter or coconut oil, um, eggs and applesauce. And you can basically combine all of those ingredients into a batter and then just make some little... um, sort of drops and bake them, drops in, in a size that's suitable for your individual pet. Um, I tend to do larger larger sizes because I have bigger dogs. Um, but mm-hmm. you can just use a teaspoon and measure out little small ones and, and bake them in the oven for about 45 minutes. And uh, they make a really nice way. They're infused with your own good intention and, and love, and you know exactly what's going into them. There's no sort of mystery ingredients or salt or sugar that you find in a lot of commercial treats. 
So it's a great way to, to treat your, your pet to something special over the holidays and, uh, and something thoughtful. So the other uh, recipe that we have that's great for this time of year would be the turkey and cranberry savouries. And uh, those are based on our keen dehydrated food, which forms the basis for that batter. And then you mix it with some extra ground turkey, a little bit of cheddar cheese, um, some mashed sweet potatoes, green beans, cranberries, and eggs. And again, very similar preparation. You just combine everything together in a large bowl um, to make a sort of a thick batter and then measure out into individual size drops and uh, bake them in the oven. And it, uh, I I thought I saw something about leaving them in the oven for an hour or two if you want them more crispy. Yes, yeah, you can actually, yeah. at the end of the cooking, you can actually switch off the oven or put, turn it down to a very low heat and just basically sort of remove it, some additional moisture from them so they tend to be a more crispy treat and they'll actually have a slightly longer shelf life as well doing them that way. Um, make something a little Yeah, I was thinking more in terms of trainer use Yeah. Um, or lack of crumbs. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you can uh, definitely you can definitely cook them to uh, to your pet's liking, and and the great thing is that you can adjust the size. So for training, you can actually make really tiny little bite-sized treats as well that don't take too long to eat, and, mm -hmm. and uh, keep your pet interested for a whole training session. That's that's really important. I, uh, thank you very yeah. much for that uh, that hint too. Yeah, and, no uh, problem at all. And just uh, just one quick point when you uh, you remind me when you mentioned about making crispier treats, I think another common misconception is that people rely on on having crunchy either crunchy food or crunchy treats to try and clean their dog's teeth and it's just one of the biggest myths out there um kibble in particular there's just no way it's abrasive enough to even to begin uh, yeah, i'm glad you brought that up because that that really is prevalent out there yes yeah a lot of people say say well don't they need the crunchies to clean the teeth um, it, it's, it, just, it just doesn't work that way. And if you've ever had the misfortune of seeing a pet regurgitate their food, those pellets usually come up the same way that they went in. Uh, they don't even chew them anyway. So uh, I really always tell people something like a raw beef marrow bone, a soup bone, um, that you can buy directly from somewhere like Whole Foods or Sprouts Market. Um, those are wonderful for cleaning the teeth. Excellent. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge as a pet nutritionist, your pet-friendly holiday tips, and those wonderful recipes. It's been a real treat. I know the cooks out there are rewinding just to write up all those ingredients. You can find Lucy Postins on the web at thehonestkitchen.com. Stay tuned to Animal Cafe. We'll be back soon to talk about her fabulous recipe book, Made Out of Love. You can find us on the web at animalcafe.co. Thanks for listening.